It's a big day for Truckabout. Is it? Yes. Why? It is our 200th episode. Holy crap about. And I was going to get noisemakers or something, but I didn't because I'm lazy. How's that sound? That's great. Thank you. That's going to be fantastic to listen to. (laughs) Uh, I could be a Foley artist. Yeah. So this was a... Yeah. We don't usually make a big deal, but just wanted to mention that. We I made 200 we goddamn episodes, pat, pat and I think we should be proud. on the back for, for making 200 episodes of this podcast, never missing a week. And we'd like to pat you on the back. Having a great time. I think the show has just gotten better and better. Mm. And uh, I'm excited to do the next 100. Thank you for joining us, everybody. So, the assignment. This was a hell of a week in that... Th- if you want to show kind of the range of DS9, you could do far worse than these two episodes. I that mean, is we true. have one. The assignment is a very, it's a very, it's a disturbing episode. It's a very tense episode. It's one that has very high stakes, both personal and galactic. Um, it has a lot of, and, and then you have Trials and Tribulations, which is just an unabashed fan service comedy episode. And both are fantastic. Huh. What? I hate both these episodes. Really? I'm lying. I've been taken over by a paw wraith. Oh. No. Uh, yeah. No, they're both really good. Yeah. I, I think that um, Trial and Tribulations is, is an interesting episode because, well, we'll talk about that later, but uh, the assignment is, I, I always find, I always get kind of ramped up when I find myself watching it because it's it's very disturbing. Yeah. And I mean, there's a couple of moments in the episode that, I mean, number one, it's it's very much a body horror sort of episode, even though it's yeah. not really about Keiko in any real way. It's more about, I guess, the ways in which people can use each other um, and the ways in which O'Brien will go to la- a, a lot of lengths, frankly. I mean, he kind of puts himself in this situation. You know, it's a torture O'Brien episode, but he kind of puts himself in this situation yeah. in this episode because... You kind of have to go with the conceit that he can't tell anyone, even though that doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense. Yeah, it's not like he could talk to – I mean because he obviously eventually does come up with a plan to uh, defeat the Paw Wraith, which works. You would think that he could at least – Which he gets from Rom. Let's not – Of course. Though it's very – I guess my my thing is there was a point where he could have told Cisco, like, look, you just need to trust me on this. Like – I'll explain everything in a in a half hour, and you know maybe that would I don't know. Obviously, it, if it's, it's but yeah, you have to go with the conceit. This isn't something that it, it's something that you have to accept in order to have the full kind of horror of this episode. The scene with uh, the party, for example, when again you have Keiko Keiko quote unquote talking to all of these people, and especially the. With Jake, oh, maybe you will meet a poverty, and like that—that's such a sinister bit. I mean, this is some really great acting from Maslin uh, Chow. Yeah, in this episode, um, some of the best we've seen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I you know, I want to talk about O'Brien and Keiko and stuff, but I want to get the Pare stuff out of the way early because this is kind of a significant change, I think, to the Bajoran religion. Yeah, uh, we had not heard about poverty before this. So they're a new idea in the show. They're a new idea in the Bajoran religion, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. How do you feel about this conception of a separate group of wormhole aliens that the other wormhole aliens threw out and now they live on some caves in Bajor and they're not really – people don't think they're real, but they're actually yeah. real and they take someone – like what – Like I, You know, on the one hand, 
It, it depends on what they're going to do with it. Because, I, I mean, to, to be, yeah. as, as everybody knows, I fucking hate energy beings. And this was a really good energy being villain in a lot of ways. Again, it's it, it was a very effective episode. Uh, still, anytime you mention an energy being to me, it is kind of stupid. That said, um, I mean, I mean, if this is the only time the Paw Wraiths are even mentioned on the show, it's not. Um, I'm shaking my head. Okay, so, and that's fine. I'm actually okay to – because we really haven't learned that much about the Bajoran religion, and we have had questions about it. And frankly, the idea of are these – you know, what exactly is the nature of these aliens that we're calling the prophets – you know, we know that they are an aliens that are aliens that are outside time. And yes, so it can I mean there there is the question of are the wormhole aliens are the prophets usurpers in a way, because the pod wraiths were apparently there and then were kicked out by the prophets. Well, well what is so what exactly is the story? Re- refresh me on that. I mean, in this episode they state that they're both the same thing. They're both the same species or whatever you want to call them. And so these they had some sort of disagreement and the wormhole aliens apparently are much nicer than the paw wraiths. And so, you know, I don't well, know. It, I, it, in sure. words, so we have all of these ent- entities known as wormhole aliens and a few rebel and are cast down. I mean, that that is a fairly if you if you want to. Yeah, 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 you know, this is a story of, you know, fallen angels, and essentially we're dealing with a Satan figure in this episode then. Yeah, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. I yeah, can see. I mean, part of my part of my problem with the Paw Wraiths is, I think, what the show does with them later. Yeah. And I don't want to tell you what the show does but with I mean, them later, But, I mean, we already obviously. have a species that can assume people's forms, and so... To have two in a series, I don't know if that's... It seems almost redundant in a way. It feels like... I I like the end result of what they did with the Paw Wraiths in this episode. Yes. I just think that maybe there was a better way to get there. Yeah. and I mean, it, we, it, we seems, could... it seems weird to me to spend four seasons developing the Bajoran religion and the wormhole aliens slash prophets... In the ways that the, we have seen them yeah. so far, and the ways they've been developed, and the ways the Bajoran religion has been developed, and their Bajoran society has been developed, and then to introduce this, I, I, you know, I don't. It's clear they didn't think of it before this season. Like, well, you right, would, that, that would that's be... my problem with it. Is like I don't know if they understood exactly the implications of what they were mm. doing. I don't know if they came up with the conception for this episode and then decided on integrating it more into the Bajoran religion. It does seem like a retcon in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I don't know if that was the right choice. I mean, I think that you could have just had, you know, Keiko getting taken over by some sort of energy being without it having to be attached to the Bajoran religion at all. And I definitely, we've talked in the past about how I like the fact that Deep Space Nine is able to uh, connect the larger events of the universe in with each episode. Um, for instance, another torture O'Brien episode yeah. from I think season three, the one I forget the name of it, but it's the one where he keeps going back and forth in time. Yes. And then we find out that the Romulans are there and they're doing this thing with the wormhole or and the so one where was... he's on the Cardassian trial is another example. Of, exactly. Yeah. And so I, I think that's maybe what they were trying to do with this. I just don't know if it's completely successful because it does sort of, it 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 queers what has been built mm. um, 
before and 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 i don't know exactly at this late stage in the show i mean we still have almost three full seasons of the show to go it does seem to be a significant change that perhaps should have been more carefully considered i guess there you know to a degree we've talked a little bit you've asked me what do you think ds9 is about in some earlier seasons and you know, this seems like the, the Pa Wraiths are going to be the major villain of the Bajoran religion arc. And, but it, then again, we have the, the, Bajor- but that's my problem. Like, but we is- have the Dominion who are the, who are the, who are the main villains of the Wormhole arc. And it does would, it do, I mean, that's the thing though. Does the Bajoran, yeah, need a villain that's not the Dominion. Right. It seemed like the Wormhole was already connecting the Dominion to, you know, the Bajor story. Uh, and I, I didn't think we needed another one. And frankly, I mean, I don't know. Are the Paw Wraiths and the Dominion going to team up against everybody? That might be a... No. See, now if they were doing with that, then that would be like, okay, that's fine. You know, how, you know, now you have two villains who are based on deception in different ways. And how are they right. going to... Or, for example, I, I mean, I think I said that about the Mirror Arc. It would be one, you know, it would be interesting if you had the Dominion from our universe contacting the Dominion from the Mirror universe and doing a two-pronged attack, but apparently that's not what they're doing and we're supposed to care about the... Yeah, I guess this all seems like artifacts of its time. This was not a show that was thought out and outlined and come up with ahead of time. And to be clear, most shows are not done that way. And I don't... The vast majority of shows are not done that way. No. And and I don't even think that that's bad necessarily in this case. Um, But still, I guess it's... In terms of what is DS9, it is a thing that we have to address at least. Uh, Yeah, I think so. And I I, I think that it is such a fundamental change to to our understanding of the Bajoran religion that... Apparently now there are, uh, you know, the same aliens that live in the in, uh, in the wormhole that are on Bajor in these things called the fire caves. It's well understood that they're there, yeah. but people don't know if they're actually real. But then Keiko goes there and gets taken over by one of them, and no one has ever gone to the fire caves before. Is this the first time that the wormhole aliens have had this, or that the the Paw Wraiths have had this idea? I was going to say, it might even be very... the first time that the Paw Wraiths have had this particular chance, because let's face it, most of the people who... I doubt – no, Keiko is not the first person to be taken over by a paw wraith, but there are plenty of – let's say a Bajoran farmer goes into the cave, gets taken over by a paw wraith, and wreaks some havoc. I mean you can imagine the kind of localized thing that – chaos that it could cause, but at the same time, this is I think the first time that a paw wraith has this level of access to this level of technology I think well, we can accept. Yeah, and, and that's not even my main problem with the Paw Race. I think really what it comes down to is the Bajoran religion as constructed so far on the show has been the 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 discovery of the wormhole in the first episode of the series was a earth well that's not was a Bajor shattering, was a Bajor event. shattering event <laughs> that fundamentally changed their understanding of their religion. Yeah. You know, they the they had confirmation that the prophets existed. And of course, not that that really changes anything because the the through line for the entire Bajoran arc has been that faith triumphs yes. over proof or whatever you want to say. But at the same time, but, I but mean, there, we, there is just that there is one thing to know that God exists. There's another thing to have proof that God exists on top of that. Sure. And and that's my problem with it is like, okay, that seemed to be a fundamental shift on their religion. But then we get this idea introduced, you know, four and a half years later that 
the Bajorans knew that there were these other things that were living in the yeah. fire caves, and even if no one really ever believed it, they kind of knew that they believed it. There were plenty of opportunities so it's, it's, for Kira to mention it. It's strange. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't – it kind of undercuts the, the, the shock of discovering the wormhole in the Celestial Temple and the Prophets in a way because mm. if the Paw Wraiths existed and everybody knows that they existed, then – why are they so shocked that the prophets actually exist and the celestial temple is real? Maybe. You know, I don't know. And I think it's, you know, it's not that um, it's that big of a problem, but it's sort of, I don't know. It doesn't I, align 100% neatly and it has to, it, it's an obvious retcon. Do I have a problem with this retcon? No. Would it have been better if they you had? will. Would I, would, <laughs> yeah. Would it have been better if I knew this, if they knew this from the beginning? Because, I mean, the, the, the reveal, for example, that... Odo is a member of the of the found that Odo is a founder. Yeah. Uh whether or not that was known from the very beginning and I think you said that it wasn't quite figured out yet. That was not intentional yeah. at all. But that so that's an obvious retcon but it one it's one that fits very neatly that frankly gives so much more thematic weight to the conflict to the character of Odo to the founders, there have been a lot of fantastic episodes surrounding Odo's relationship to the founders, and it's one that goes well. Mm-hmm. This seems like it's in the same vein, but just not done as deftly. Yeah, and it also feels like something that that is a little bit um, underbaked, you know, because we get this. Yeah. The meat of the episode, of course, is, um, and we can transition over to talking about Keiko and O'Brien in this episode because that is kind of the, the point yes. of the episode. But it, 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 the Paray stuff feels underbaked just because I don't know that we – it doesn't really feel uh, that connected with what's going on. And, yeah, it's – it's. I mean, to to a degree, all that we need to know to get the f- scary and, and, you know, dramatic and tense parts of this episode is that a ghost has possessed Keiko and wants to ultimately destroy the wormhole aliens. That's very bad. Now, the bit about, oh, it's a paw wraith, seems like just some kind of bullshit for the episode. It, again, if, well, if, 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 it, the paw, it, if the paw wraiths are not coming back, and this is just one of those concepts that they mention and abandon, and maybe it's, you know, overblown, then that's maybe okay. But the fact that they're introducing a concept in this particular way doesn't seem to really work. Well, I disagree with you a little bit because I think that if this had just been a random energy being that wanted to destroy yeah. the wormhole aliens, uh, we probably would have criticized the episode for not really having a motivation there. So I guess we just have problems with everything. So I think, yeah, we're da- basically it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah. You know, and I think that, uh, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess we got – a lot of it is I feel like I got to watch this space because the – portrayal of the poverty that we see i thought was good well and to be blunt i think a lot of my problem with this episode is while i do love the the keiko and o'brien stuff yeah i feel like this episode was trying to set something up that they never really satisfactorily pay off and so i guess that's where my problem with that's it really fair. comes from yeah and i'm not going to try and give you any more than that you will be very disappointed but <laughs> you know it, it is kind of what it is okay um that said, I I think that the the uh, uh, the feeling of this episode, mm-hmm. I think that the the sort of the stakes of the episode feel very intense. Yeah. We don't we don't know what Keiko wants uh, throughout most of the episode. We have no idea what she's doing. But how, how if she's telling the truth, how how um, how willing she's far to, how far she's willing yeah. to go, and also the fact of the matter is, at the end of the episode, when 
um, O'Brien d- uh, does successfully, I think, kill the Paw yeah. Wraith. Uh, O'Brien says that, or Keiko says that she didn't think that the Paw Wraith had any intention of leaving either yeah, of them yeah, alive, yeah. which makes sense. So, yeah, I like all of that. Yeah. Um, I like that they she distracts both O'Brien and us kind of from her eventual goals because, you know, the focus is really keeping on, all right, how do we save Keiko throughout this? And, I mean, it's a very shocking line when Brahms is the, why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? That's suddenly the holy shit line of the episode because we really haven't thought about that. And that was frankly the last thing on anybody's mind. And, I mean, this is a ROM episode to me. This is a very... Uh, oh, it's a great episode for Rom, yeah. This, it's interesting, th- because Rom, this is about Rom as an engineer. Remember and, last year when I told you that you would like Rom? Yeah, and I, I love him. Um, <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I think it's interesting that Rom has almost his own version of the Scotty principle. Like, Rom acts a lot dumber than he is. There's that one bit when... uh. You know, he says to O'Brien, oh, you're going to have me play the idiot. Well, I'm Quark's brother. I know the role very mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. If you watch him in the scenes when he's alone with O'Brien, his even his voice when is... When he's d- what with O'Brien? When he's alone with O'Brien. Oh, okay. What did you think? I thought I said, you said when he blew, when he was blown with O'Brien. I'm like, uh, did I miss a scene? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Deep Throat 9. Um, If... His voice is even different. The scenes when he's first meeting his coworkers. Oh, what kind? We all drink Rock the Gino. Oh, that's in such the, a sad scene. I know, but to a degree, and, and, and even more so when he's talking to Quark and, well, we're going to have French toast today. I mean, he is exaggerating what a dork he is, I think. So that way, with Quark, it's to annoy him, of course, at this point. But with his other coworkers... I think he really is getting them to completely underestimate him and be like, what the hell? Because when oh, when he comes to O'Brien and is all, I'm done, O'Brien is shocked at how fast he worked because he completely un- misunderestimated Rom because Rom has acted like an idiot, but when he's actually working, he's going to do the best job. And it frankly makes him look even more clever than he is. I like well, that. Well, I think, I think to a real degree, you could make the argument that Rom is smarter than O'Brien. Yes. And I think that that that's probably not a shocking statement to make. I think that what what you know, well, maybe not smart, maybe not smarter than O'Brien, but as smart as O'Brien. I was know, gonna, he, o- o- Rom is the type of character yeah. that you could see having O'Brien's job in five or ten. Well, years. that's the thing. Rom is a lot less formally experienced. He hasn't had Starfleet training, but. He's been wiring together all of the stuff that his brother is too cheap to fix, and he knows a lot of very unorthodox methods. He knows all of this stuff very well. He isn't really bound by Starfleet rules and regulations as much, so he can do a lot of off-license things. So, yeah, again, give give Rom five or ten more years of experience. He's going to go very far with this. Again, we we see him getting promoted to the day shift largely because— out of gratitude from O'Brien, but Rom did save the day using his intellect, and that's so he de- it, it's true that he deserves his yeah. promotion at the end of the episode. Well, and I think too, uh, what I really like about the assignment is is the char- the characterization, and and yeah. I think that you know primarily to that is the fact that um, if you look at a lot of the Let's Torture O'Brien episodes, if you look at say uh, the Tribunal, if you look yeah. at uh, 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 the one where he was a, a prisoner. Um, even if you look at the one where he was sort of going through time, yeah. Um, and this one, 
what O'Brien is really, I think O'Brien's main fear is seems to be being alone. Yeah. And in this episode, it's really, really smart that he is separated from the the crew and separated from his friends and even separated from his wife. He has no one to yeah. rely on in this episode. And that, I think, is what his fundamental terror is. Yeah. That's also why he doesn't really he didn't really want his wife and child to to leave the station, you know, a season or two ago yeah. as well. Um, and I think that that what what works about that is it completely makes sense that O'Brien would get lost in trying to get his wife back, yeah, and not connect the dots and, and what he was running around the station doing and understanding, make you know, putting the pieces together and and, and realizing that what he was doing was creating this chronoton device that was going to kill all yeah, the wormhole aliens. Exactly, you know, he and. O'Brien says as much, you know, I've been seeing missing the forest for the trees. He is looking at, and frankly, all of the extra, you know, part of his mind is spent taking, you know, thinking of the technical details of the job. The rest is worrying about Keiko and trying to come up with a plan. So he doesn't really have any brain space devoted to connecting the dots and Rom because he doesn't have a personal stake in this, is able to almost instantly realize what's going on. Well, because for, for Rom, he's just doing his job. Yeah. And I also think that that Rom, you know, I, I I do agree with you that Rom is sort of playing up the dorkiness to some yeah. degree, but I also think that there is some earnestness there. I mean, oh, yeah. I think he's running with it and exaggerating, and that's that's in a way... I think that Rom wants to feel like he has a, a you know, a crew or a cadre. And yeah. That scene where he's in the 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 observation lounge and they're all sort of sitting around and you know he said oh so what we drink on the day shift we drink back <laughs> to Gino's and you know yeah and there's a part I, I understand I, you know he is partly playing that up but I also think that he is oh, yes. being sincere as well and so when he is I mean he does say you know I know the role of the idiot I'm you know Quark's brother with a bit of rue to it like yeah 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 there is an awareness about how alone he is too yeah and I also think that Rom is the type of person that that doesn't really seem to to fit in very well anymore yeah. either you know and so he doesn't really fit in with quark i mean the whole thing of the episode is you know he's eating these different human foods and he's sort of like asking the day shift what they drink and then yeah. he gets um you know put on the put on this secret mission with o'brien and i think that that makes him feel like he's involved in something really important and so he is really honored by that, and so even if he's not completely clear on what what they're well, he's cl- he's clear on what they're doing, but he's not clear on why they're doing it. But he doesn't really think to ask because he trusts O'Brien, and also he feels involved for the first time. Well, and there is that, that line. And I think that's yeah. what you really see in this episode is is O'Brien's fear of being alone and Rom's fear of not um, I'm feeling included are the two things that are really driving yeah. these epi- this episode. I mean, there is that one bit at the very beginning that gives the episode its title uh, its title rom says you know all i need is one is one really good assignment i'm gonna do a really good job on it and that's that will be why i get promoted and yeah. obviously it turns out to be in a very roundabout way but you know that that does turn out to be true um yeah and i i, I see it's interesting because i think i think the original version of o'brien from this series was very much the kind of person who wanted to finish his job and go home to his wife and kid, and that was it. And we have seen the O'Brien's relationship evolve to include kind of outside of it. I think there is a degree— Sexual role-playing. Yeah. Um, Which uh, I don't want to see. Oh, yeah, no. uh, The the first thing he thinks when she says, oh, do anything, is that she's playing some sex games. So this must be something that, like— 
she does. They do. Like, <laughs> hello, shopkeep. Would you like to buy some flowers? Yeah, that, that, that that's how it goes. Apparently, um, that's what I do with my boyfriends. Well, uh, <laughs> um, what I think is interesting is that O'Brien, that Miles is finding that he needs certain. He has social needs outside of the outside of the relationship. I mean, his his friendship with Bashir is a perfect example of this. You know, once he at at first he starts hanging out with uh, with Bashir as a substitute because you know my wife's not around and I need something to do, but. When she comes back, there was that episode where, like, he's getting a little bored and she's getting a little irritated. I mean, Keiko is much more of a geek than O'Brien is, I think. She is very—they're both—well, I think they're both scientifically minded, but O'Brien is more of the tinkerer type of the technician. He wants something to actually work on. Kago is a little more research oriented, you know. She remember they talk about building this arboretum is not going to be enough for her because even though essentially O'Brien is doing the technical equivalent of making an arboretum, she what what fulfills her is going to this expedition and she's cataloging her plants and stuff and she doesn't seem to want as much socially outside the apartment, but she wants time to do her samples and work with her plants and just leave me the hell alone. I'm mm-hmm. making a bonsai tree right now. Um, and I think it's interesting how their relationship has gone to understand that about each other. And so they frankly don't, they frankly work better when they have, when after dinner, you know, he and O'Brien, he and, uh, Bashir are going to go out for an hour and she's going to catalog her samples and then, you know, then Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, sure. And I also think, you know, too, that, that one of the reasons why it works, why, why it works so well that it's Keiko in this episode is because we know just enough about Keiko to know how she would react and how she would act. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that it would necessarily, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be O'Brien if someone else was taken over. I mean, you could make an argument that, you know, it could maybe if he took the Kapari took Bashir over yes. or something, O'Brien would have had a similar reaction, but but probably not. I mean, there there is a degree to which the fundamental sort of uh, terror of it being his wife is something that is driving him forward, of course. And I would say and, there is a degree to which Keiko is less of an action person in a lot of ways. Again, Bashir will be in a combat situation as will O'Brien, but again. Keiko is a researcher. She's going to be kind of in the back. And also there there are, you know, opportunities for, for the Paw Wraith in Keiko's body to, to you know, freak O'Brien the fuck out. Yeah. Like that scene where she calls him and is brushing Molly's hair and then Molly says, ow. You know, like she's doing <laughs> stuff very, I mean, oh, and that I love- is horrible. The one, the scene when she insists, well, you have... W- where she insists that he sleep next to her and she's just obviously staring at him the entire night, you know, with that creepy smile and he rolls over and kind of – that's – I mean the the sexual menace of that scene was was very disturbing of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess the other thing, you know, uh, uh, maybe um, to talk about is, is Odo in this episode because he doesn't have a lot to do, but I do like the fact that – um, he's just he's quietly competent in this episode, and but, I think that what what is really nice about that, of course, is that he's gone through this very fundamental change and yeah. is now slowly starting to come around again. Although there are moments, again, the part where 
he he doesn't realize he can be sucker punched yet, which, you know, O'Brien just gives him one punch and he's knocked out, which is not something that he could have done to the old Odo. That is true. There there are these little weaknesses that Odo didn't necessarily have that even though he he hasn't quite compensated for. Maybe he's not going to leap on O'Brien and try to turn into something, but... He doesn't. Re- he doesn't think to protect his face. And what a nice face it is! Yeah. Uh, a couple other things I want to mention. Maybe we can wrap this one up. Is uh, this is a, a an episode that has sort of very weird, tiny moments in it. Uh, in the very beginning of the episode, Molly comes in from the hallway by herself. She's four. Hmm. What is she doing? Yeah, this isn't the Enterprise, it's DS9, but... Yeah, like, it's a little weird. Well, let's say uh, she's allowed to play in in this section of hallway. Sure. Uh, and then later on in the episode, O'Brien comes in with a plant to apologize for, for overwatering Keiko's bonsai tree and says, I have to get back to sickbay. I left a patient on the operating table. So Bashir left a patient on the operating no, table. No, no, that's his excuse to leave. I think he, I don't, it was uh, a very uh, strange. Uh, 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 Either way, it was strange. I was like, mm, yeah. okay. Uh, but yeah, it was just kind of weird little moments like that, which I think add to the sort of off kilter nature yeah. of what's going on. So I like it. Yeah. This is a great episode. Let's not go crazy. Because Trials and Tribulations is a great episode. There can be two great episodes. Okay, that's fine. There can be two great episodes. So you knew nothing about this, right? No. Um, the only thing I did know from about this, I knew there was a an episode where Worf comments on the... You know differences with the forehead rages and stuff like that, but uh, I think because I told you that maybe in the May patron special, maybe which, which was, you can listen to if you go to patreon.com slash about show and give it five dollars a month. Really, what's it about? Klingons. Oh, but um, beyond that, no. Uh, this was this was really good. Again, it was an unabashed fan service episode. It was opportunities to see them in the old uniforms, opportunities to geek out over the, you know, the part when Dax is geeking out over the old, like, tricorder design and all of that. That is just, we want to see a close-up of an old tricorder. We want to see an old communicator. You know, things like that. This is, in some ways, this is, the episode does go out of its way to be standalone. They obviously knew that people would be watching this episode just because, oh, it's, it's 30th anniversary and they're doing a Tribbles episode. Yeah. People who wouldn't necessarily watch D- DS9. But at the same time, it is, this is not an, ep- I would not have had quite this reaction to it as I would before we had started this project. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No. And I think that, so it's interesting. They had a couple of different ideas for this. And, and so when Paramount came to them and said, hey, we want to do a 30th yeah. anniversary episode, um, the initial conception of the initial idea that, that Iris Stephen Bear was, was to revisit Charlie X of all things. Huh. Um, I, I think only because he knew that the actor was still around and they yeah. just decided not to do that. And uh, Ronald D. Moore actually had a really interesting idea where he wanted to go back to um, the planet from a piece of the action, the gangster planet from okay, TOS. Okay, because they do mention at the end, oh, what's going to happen? You know, they may want a piece of our action, you know. Right. Yeah. And and what the idea was that it was going to, you know, because they were very um, imitative. And so they, yeah. they what what happened in that episode, you know, I think it was like episode 24 of Truck About, if you want to go way back and listen to <laughs> it. Um, that uh, uh, they found this this book about gangsters in the 20th century in Chicago, and they they constructed their whole society around yeah. it. And so the idea for the 30th anniversary episode that was going to be that um, when S- S- Spock and Kirk left, 
the planet had adopted the Federation as their new role yeah. models. And so it was going to be a commentary on like Star Trek fandom. Which would be – and that would be a great way also to sh- – I mean you could just as easily show off the old sets and exactly. tech and stuff like that in uniforms. That would have been really cute too. That would have been really cute. But I, I, I think that I really like – the idea to what they wanted to do, of course, is they wanted to uh, show the old crew interacting with the new yeah. crew, which frankly was very new technology because they was, yeah. of, I think Forrest Gump was the first time that this was done. And that was only a couple years before this. I was going to say, no, it's very, uh, this was for the era and for television. This was obviously a very technically impressive episode. It was, it's very well done. Yeah. It, it whole, I, I don't know. The only bit that doesn't entirely work is Cisco talking with uh, Kirk at the very end. But other than that, when they're, but you know, I think it works. Okay. It, I mean, it, 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 but, compa- but that was mostly compared to the rest of the episode where, I mean, it, it's very obvious that he and Captain Kirk are not really interacting, that we're dealing with, you know, cutting back and forth. The others, because they almost go out of their way to avoid conversations and stuff, work more subtly. Yeah, or like the scene where Dax is in the background on the bridge and she just gives that little look for, yeah. for a second. You know, that kind of thing Things works. like that. I mean, I think, it, you know, I don't know how well it would hold up if DS9 um, it was ever remastered for HD, and it really yeah. should be. Hello, CBS Television. Um, we're still waiting for, for DS9 and HD. Um, I just need to beat that drum every once in a while. But, yeah, I, I it, the, the actual technical stuff yeah. that they pull off in this episode, they do such a good job with it. I mean, you know, even to things like where they do the lineup where Kirk is berating all of them. And, I mean, yes! it's, it's, you can't really tell. And it's very, very masterfully done. I don't know how they afforded it. I mean, this must have been a very they, expensive episode to do. They got not, a bunch of budget because of the 30th anniversary. Like, you know not that only, they just released well, the budget through this. Yeah. Not only because of the, the you know, special effects, but also because of, I mean, they really, you know, if you think back to Relics, right, from the sixth season of, of TNG, they didn't build an entire bridge set. They only built a section of it because they couldn't afford yeah. to. They didn't build any other thing. I mean, they really had to work hard and find a lot of money in the budget to do even that one scene with Scotty and Picard on the bridge of the USS Enterprise, the original one. And you're giving me a blank look like you don't remember that episode. Oh, now I remember it. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that was a really good episode. How do you not remember this episode? Yeah. But uh, they really... I don't remember titles. You know that. They really went... Uh, uh, above and beyond the call of duty in this episode i mean they built a section of hallway i'm assuming they used the same bridge that they built for the tng episode they built a turbo lift they also i mean they did a lot they built um um, the bar on on the space station k9 the holding tank where the the triples are where they're finding the bomb at the end you know they they yeah they do a lot but it and they they did a great job of making it look exactly like yeah. it did in the original series the colors and the lighting the even. lighting the, the hairstyle yeah again like I, I they all looked wonderful in in the costumes i thought it was great um, the only the only one thing that, of course, is different, and this is something that that I never noticed until I read this on Memory Alpha, mm-hmm. but I actually kind of agree with this. Now, now that I've read this, I can't really get this out of my head. Is that uh, Ronald D. Moore? Um, the one thing that he always regretted about this episode was that uh, they couldn't uh, make an entirely new score that was more in line with the original series, yeah. because it is very sort of like you know mid '90s Star Trek music and not mid '60s Star yeah, Trek yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. But they, ran, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised they, they, they didn't ran just remix the original. They sound. ran out of money and they couldn't do it so that you know that's fine but I but think, if they had to compromise on one thing the soundtrack is a fine thing yeah, like because a- absolutely uh 
Yeah, I mean, th- there is a degree to which we could talk about the plot of it, but again, even the plot is frothy. But I like that there is this Bureau of Temporal Investigation. Yeah, I want to talk about that because this is really the first time that this has ever been mentioned. It's it's a nice bureaucratic touch, and I'm fine. It's if a good X Files. It's a good X Files reference because I'm, the, the yeah. name of the guys is Luxley and something uh dolmer and luxley they're they're <laughs> plays on Mulder okay. and scully from the x-files um they they're very funny they are characters that we've never really seen in star trek before they don't in, it, it's interesting because yeah now that you say x-files it does make complete sense they don't entirely necessarily fit in star trek but for this episode i don't care like this episode is a party in a lot of ways yeah in, yeah. in that it doesn't have to a hundred percent follow the rules because this is a again. This is a straight up comedy episode. There isn't really any tension to it, even given that. Given that you know it's in a, it's told in a flashback. We know that everyone gets out okay. Yeah. We know that they're not going to ruin the timeline. We know that you know Kirk is not going to get killed by a triple blowing up. But you and know. I love the fact that they because you know in the original episode. Uh, uh, um, the trouble with tribbles when Kirk has all the tribbles fall yeah. on his head. Like every few seconds, there's like another tribble falling for some reason, and they give a yes. reason in this episode, which is that Cisco and Dax are throwing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really cute. they they did a really good job. This, in some ways, reminds me of what they did with the menagerie because it's taking a because the menagerie was a very clever use of already done footage. Mm-hmm edited together in a way to give it a completely different context and to tell another story alongside it. Um, Obviously, the technical uh, abilities in this episode were much more well done, but it is the sort of thing, all the technology in the world is not going to help it if you don't have good writing, you know, supporting it. And the fact that I mean, you know every actor who is involved in this is having a great time with it, too. That's another... This was just a very fun episode. Yeah, and I like the fact that I mean, all the all the characters, of course, do get a chance to to really shine. I mean, of course, we don't see Kira because she's she's pregnant, and also she wouldn't really have any sort of yeah, I assume in, it, interest or, or 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 sort of historical fascination with this. But the rest of the yeah. characters obviously do. I assume at this particular point, uh, Nana Visitor is having the baby in real life, so uh, that's because pro- this trip to Beja was obviously to you know get her off the the set for the last couple of weeks. Well, she was in the episode, was she? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, she was on the she was on the Defiant. Oh. Um, so no, she was there. She was not Fuck having the me baby. Then. Yeah, exactly. Um, you need to pay better attention, Richard. Uh, um, yeah, no, I like the fact that you know uh, Dax, of course, is is you know geeking out over all of this stuff because she she remembers. Oh, this. the scene where she's like, "Oh, he's so handsome. His eyes." Yes, well, Kirk was like, no. I mean, Spock. You know that that's. And totally it, in line with her taste. It, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> when she's trying to meet Koloth and, you know, she's, uh, what would be fun? I won't say anything. <laughs> and Cisco's like, yeah, it would be too, too much Too much fun, fun yeah. Uh, and I do like that they, but they do get some more, I, I, I guess, uh, serious moments to it, like, because... Of Dax, Dax ultimately has the, you know, well, I lived in this time and, you know, I do, I miss being a part of it. You yeah. Know? They, they do, they, is... as funny as it is, there is a sense of homesickness almost, or she's going back to her old school, really. Well, one of the, I mean, that is something that I find really interesting about the episode because, you know, say what you want about 
you know, 80s and 90s Star Trek. And I think that, well, let's let's really call it non-TOS Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Is that um, it's not as much fun. I love TNG and I love DS9 and I like Voyager and I like Enterprise. But TOS was, can't be fun in a way that the rest of the series are not. It's well, and, and maybe ign- can't be like because yeah. there was a naivety, I guess, to it, or a very an earnestness that you know now they're and especially but DS nine. Oh. Well, it would have been very easy for this episode to degenerate into, I think, making fun of the original series. Yeah. And of course, what you see in this episode is that you have writers that. Grew up watching the original yeah. series, you know, Ronald D. Moore, Iris Stephen Bear, you know, all of the, you know, all of them really. Um, no TOS inside and out. I mean, they make a joke about Kivas and Trillium, which is from uh, uh, Errand of Mercy. That's what the, Spock is supposed to be selling when he portrays a merchant because the Klingons invade. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of little moments like that. The reference even to the Gord and stuff like the, that. Yeah. You know, little things like that. Little things like that where the it's obviously coming from a place of, of, of profound love for the original yeah. series. And... I don't, and I, that's what I like about it is that it doesn't come across as making fun of the original series. It comes across as a loving tribute to yes. it. And really, because one of the things that I have always really fought against is this idea that the original series is campy. And certainly some of the episodes are. And I think you can make an argument that the third series, a lot of the, ep- the third season, a lot of the, a lot of the episodes are, are a bit more campy than the first yeah. two seasons. But I really fundamentally disagree with the idea that, you know, if you've listened to our TOS episodes, you can go back and listen to them that I, I, I do fundamentally disagree with the idea that, that the bulk of TOS is, is campy because it is very. It was very much a yeah. prestige network drama in line with the you know uh, 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 the abilities and the sort of sensibilities that that network television dramas had at the time, and it was a serious show. Yeah. And there are a lot of really serious episodes of the show. And again, maybe some of the camp part of the, the reputation is camp does come from that, you know, naivete and earnestness because they, you know, but at the same time, I, and I know part of my conclusion at, at the end of TOS was even if it is campy, campy is not a synonym for bad. I mean, there is a, a sense of jub, jubilation to a lot of the original series. Again, we talk about, we've revisited Spock's brain in another patron special. And that I found was, that's as campy as the show gets, but I really liked the episode because it is a very fun episode nobody is telling them that there's no one around that's saying that this is a bad idea because it's too silly so they do it and damn it they do it you know you you can't picture well i will say it's not good no i don't want to argue that it's a it's a good episode and maybe I, i i that's fair and i wouldn't necessarily argue it's a great episode but at the same time I mean, there's a reason why they revisit, tri- you know, the Trouble with Tribbles and not yes, Spock Spring. Of course. I mean, you know, because the, tri- the Trouble with Tribbles is uh, is a classic episode. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows yes. Tribbles. It's a comedy episode, so of course the the lightheartedness is there. Yeah, they're not going back and revisiting, you know, Balance of Terror or something. No, or the City on the Edge of Forever. I mean, that would have been. While that may have been interesting, oh. I think that would have been a lot more not for the that anniversary, would not, right? That would not, not have been a celebration of the thirtieth anniversary of Star Trek, and, and and that's at the that's at the end of the day. DS Nine was called to do a party, and DS Nine is a show that has shown some very 
that, you know, the last week we were dealing with, you know, a young man seeing the aftermath of war for the first time, people dying badly and, you know, acts of cowardice and courage and desperation. This is a series that has the the characters fighting wars on all these fronts. There's the Dominion, there's the Klingons, there's now the Paw Wraiths. You know, everybody is trying to – the piece that any, – any piece is very fragile, any – headway that the Federation makes is hard won. At the end of the day, it's dealing with all of that, but the casket's called to do a party, and this is it, and it's a hell of a party. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you know, not not to, um, you know, show the hand of Voyager too much, but... Because I'm curious the, what their 30th anniversary yeah, I won't, is. Yeah, I won't say what it's about. I won't say how they do it, but it's not fun. Yeah. And it is sort of a dour episode. Yeah. And I find that to be I find that to be interesting for reasons that we will get to when we talk about Voyager. No, cuz I'm very What's do you know offhand what season? I believe it would be season 3. Okay. So far enough along that, you know, it has the show would have found its voice at that point. Yes. Again, I am very just because I had so much fun what this is an episode you have a big dumb smile on your face for. And I, 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 yeah, I think that, 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 you know, trials and tribulations and maybe, you know, we'll, we can talk about trials and tribulations again when we get to yes. the, the Voyager episode, I believe is called a flashback, which again, even the name of it yeah. kind of just feels a little generic, feels a little on the nose. I mean, this almost remind this is trials and tribulations is along the lines of more troubles, more troubles. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. It, 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 it's a, it's 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 a TOS or animated series level pun. Well, it's incredibly well versed in, in Star Trek's history. It's incredibly yeah. well versed in the um the the feeling of of Star Trek. The it original understands series. why people love Star Trek yes. for all of the things that people say. DS Nine, you know, because I was reading Major Barrett left because she didn't feel that the series really was true to his vision. And there has been, you know, you said it's maybe a cynical series, but no, this is an episode that understands why people love the original series because they love the original series too. Everybody who is involved in this episode, you know, is in this position because they saw the TOS as a kid and it changed their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I even think some of the actors as well. Of course. I think there is a degree to which Avery Brooks geeking out about Captain Kirk is... You know, with, where Cisco geeking out about Captain Kirk is a- Avery Brooks geeking out about Star Trek. Well, and I think too. I mean, you know, I I don't know if Avery Brooks is a huge Star Trek fan. I would probably assume that he isn't. But I, I think that uh, you know, even if he was not a huge Star Trek fan, even if a lot of the other actors were perhaps not huge Star Trek fans, they're of the same. They're of the right age to have seen some Star Trek when it was first on. They're they're of the age to remember it as a child. I mean, there are shows that I watched as a and child, even if I'm not yeah. a fan of them now, that I do look back on fondly. So, and it's also fucking Star Trek. Yeah. No matter what, it's Star Trek. And if you are a person who, you know. Star- that's actually the tagline for the new series as well. Ah. It's fucking Star Trek. <laughs> No, I mean, Star Trek is one of those things like Star Wars in a lot of ways where it's an honor to be involved in. And I think a lot of people, even if you're not necessarily a Trekkie, recognize what it what it means because 
whether or not you like Star Trek, you can't deny that it is an iconic American series. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that's why this episode works so well, you know, as well, because all of the characters in the episode are sort of audience surrogates in a way. They're all yeah. sort of, you know, wide-eyed at what's going on. I mean, Cisco is playing the stern captain, but you can tell that he's kind of thrilled with this as well. You know, Odo is is just sitting at a bar, like, getting he, drunk. He finds the Tribble, and again, that's interesting that, you know, he's human— I, I think last last time this time last year, you know, Oda would not have found the Tribble so pleasing. But right. you know, it he he's, it's another it's another march on his you know uh, uh, another line in his march towards really understanding. He's Oda in a lot of ways of is acting people. like somebody who's really stoned and fascinated by his hands, like you know, just seeing all of these things for the first time because literally he is getting very different sensory input in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, yeah. And I really do want to say I love the whole – I love Worf and Odo's exchange about, you know, how the Tribbles are one of the biggest, you know, <laughs> enemies of the Klingon Empire because it is hilarious. But at the same time, if you really think about it, yeah, the Tribbles are, you know – I think we joked on the animated series that like, oh my god, the Tribbles are basically cancer. But if you think about it, they exist to eat and reproduce and, you know, nothing else. They are – the the they eat a – entire you know stable of grain in the tr- in the original episode yeah. and they would be an ecological menace so i don't know if we can uh if we can think of jonas salk as a hero for you know his work in the eventual eradication of a tiny microorganism that we can't even see and it's round and cuddly looking when we do we can be we can we can indeed sing songs of the tribal wars because they are a menace <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I think that might it's, be. It, it's I, I, funny. Not, it's funny, but it's at the same time. I'm not sure if I want to go down the road of like <laughs> of, of of saying that I'm okay with genocide. But <laughs> I, you know, I think it, side. It's something that you know, like Worf's line about we don't talk about the fact yeah. that the Klingons look different. That's obviously an in joke. The Tribble thing is an in joke. There's a lot of jokes in the episode that you know this episode works on a couple of levels. It has to work on it on an in universe yeah. level of making sense on a plot level about what they're doing, why they're back in time on a character kind of level. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also has to work on another level of just in universe jokes, yeah. in universe making a little bit of fun, poking a little bit of fun at it, but also taking it seriously. And I think that's why everyone's that in on the joke. So much, so funny because. Again, Worf, in a lot of ways, is the only sane man. At the end of this episode, when DS9 is about to be taken over by Tribbles, um, they are realizing, oh, this actually does suck. But, um, you know, again... Well, that's a great reveal as well. Yes. With Quark with the Tribble on his head. (laughs) And Odo just standing there, glaring, not knowing what to do. Yeah. Apparently his love dribbles has worn off. <laughs> well, that's it. Like, you know, it, it, it's so hilarious that such a cute, cute thing, you know, is about as much of a menace. But at the end, I think it's it's funny that Worf was right. This is an episode that understands Star Trek and understands comedy very well. TNG, as I said, was never good at comedy. DS9 can pull off comedy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like this is a hard episode to talk about. I mean, you know, it's I, well because it's hard for us not to just fan gush about it. Well, and also, I mean, you know, uh, we we could talk about how the plot is structured. I mean, it's done well, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the not, plot it's, is a vehicle to get us back into this. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, like I think it's I think it's cool that we get to see Arn Darvin again. Yeah. You know, I mean, like all of these things work really well. The reveal of the Enterprise on the view screen is a yeah. shocking moment. It's kind of this loving moment. Uh, they actually built 
another enterprise okay. model for this episode, oh, wow. which I didn't even realize. I thought they had actually used CGI for yeah, it, but yeah. no, they didn't. And it, it's it's all just done so well. I mean, I think that. And the other thing I really like about the episode is that it doesn't waste any time just getting right into it. Yeah. You know, you could see another version of this episode that took 15 or 20 minutes to get to that point, And they really just, um, they want to get to the 23rd century as quickly as possible. They want to get our characters into those uniforms as quickly as possible. Yeah. And they want them out there doing things. And I, I think it's great. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, obviously, of the itchy and scratchy episode with Poochie. You know, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? When are they getting to the fireworks factory? This episode realized this. We want to be in the fireworks factory. So, you know, we're going to spend five minutes. And then I also do think it's interesting that this is tied to the larger plot of the of Bajor and the Orbs. It's kind of... Rem- That's true, yeah. You know, because... It- at this point, there are, you know, and, and this is part of the joke of, you know, that the temporal investigations, you know, make it. But there are any number of ways that they can go back in time at this point. They could make it up. They could come up with anything. The fact that they're doing very specifically this way, we they want us to remember that the orbs are a thing in play. Based on the fact that we have the Pa Wraiths and the Orbs, obviously, I think we're going to be moving into more of the Bajor plot line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that it, 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 this episode uses its elements in a lot of ways that the Bajoran Prophets is a reminder of the larger arc, a foreshadowing of what's to come, and just a f- nice little in joke and just a MacGuffin in its own way, too. It's. It's a very Deep Space Nine episode. Yes. I mean, it's it's obviously, like you said at the very beginning of this conversation, it is it is built and constructed so that anybody can come in and watch it without knowing anything about Deep Space Nine. But at the same time, I, I could not see this episode going this way if it was the Enterprise yes. D crew, for instance. You know, it would have been a very different episode. It would have been much more serious. I don't think it would have been as funny. It would not have been as much of a celebration. And I think well, that think that's about really the naked I, now, which was kind of you know, it, it, obviously. I mean, of course, to be fair, that was a very different version of TNG than the show yes, came. But it's most you, celebrated, but yeah, you know, or I mean, I try to think of if we could pick an episode of TNG to have been its thirtieth anniversary, and maybe Relics would have been its attempted if if it had been on the air at that point. But you know that that would have been that's Relic celebration of the original Enterprise crew, and it's a very serious meditation on Scotty getting older and yeah. wondering about his own irrelevance. And, you know, that that was much very much asking the question, is Star Trek still relevant in this day and age? And ultimately coming to the conclusion that, yes, it is, but that was a very – it was a very poignant episode. You know, we can't say that this is poignant. And, yeah, no, that's true, and I, you know, I, I think that's a good point, and maybe that's a good place to leave it is that – if you look at the ways in which TNG used the original series crew, you know, the, the very first episode encountered Farpoint had a very old yeah. McCoy tottering down the hallway with data. Then you had um, Spock in a very serious plot line about the Romulan reunification with Vulcans. You have Sarek, Sarek of course, dying of di- Alzheimer's. Yeah. Right. And then you have, like you said, Scotty coming back and feeling old and feeling out of place. You know, that's a very different use of those characters. And I think in DS9, they don't really use those characters at all. I mean, they mentioned Kirk maybe once before. And, you know, they, they sort of use the the the, uh, the Klingons from the original series. But those are kind of references that even yeah. went over your head when we talked about Blood yeah. in the second season. Yeah, and they season. are just secondary characters. And they, they don't have to be characters we've already seen before. You know, that, that seemed more like, hey, the actors are still alive. This could be cute. 
And that's, yeah, and that's another reason I think why this episode works so well is that it's not these characters in the present day. Yeah. It's these characters as we remember them in their prime. And and that works really well for the, I think, the feeling and the tone that this episode is trying to go for. There's a little hero worshiper, worship there because it's goddamn Captain Kirk. Like, we all think Captain Kirk is the coolest no matter what. And this episode acknowledges that. And. I don't know. It celebrates that, makes that okay, normalizes that in a way, and says, like, at the end of the day, he is still Captain Kirk. This sure. is the crew of the Enterprise, and you're going to get a little bit of goosebumps when you see that. Yeah, and of course, that's the, the point of the end of the episode where, yeah. you know, Captain Sisko has to meet Kirk. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that great line that sort of ends the episode. Well, it doesn't end the episode, but, but it's the, the, the scene with the temporal investigation, which is that, you know. We do that, too. I do that, what, too. If you want to write me up for that, then, yeah. you know. So <laughs> I think there's an understanding that Kirk is sort of an outsized presence in, in the Federation as well. Which- and I think it's funny that, you know. Cisco does break a rule in a very Kirk way because you can definitely see Captain Kirk doing that same thing and not giving a shit about the consequences because worth it. Yeah, yeah. Would Picard have done that? I don't know if he would have done that. So I think that's the difference there. Well, we'll never find out. Or will we? We're not going to find that out. I'm sorry. I'm really curious about the uh, 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 um, new Star Trek's 50th anniversary episode. Well, it won't, it won't have one. Because really? it won't be on the air until 2017. Oh, but maybe 50... Um... Nope. Not happening. Damn you. Maybe we'll get... 52nd anniversary? A 60th anniversary episode in... We won't. 2026? They can just the do it, is... and we no one will care. The show is still on. I don't the know. 30th anniversary of Spock's Brain. That was 68, right? Oh, God. The mid-90s was such a great time to be a Star Trek fan. <laughs> There's so much going on, and it's been a rough time. But well, we're getting back to it. Let's Let's hope. Be optimistic. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode, this 200th episode of Trekabout at trekaboutshow.com. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, where you can find things like our patron special for the month of July, which is coming up next week, uh, which is actually going to be about uh, three characters, Spock. Data and Odo. We're going to be kind of comparing and contrasting and discussing uh, the differences in three characters that try and be human or try and comment on humanity as much as possible. Mm. So if you would like to listen to that, just head over to patreon.com slash trackaboutshow. Our social media username where you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is trackaboutshow. And of course, as always, Please leave us an iTunes review if you have not done so. We would very much appreciate it, and we may even read it on the show. We probably will read it on the show. Probably. Next week, we're going to be continuing our discussion of the fifth season of Deep Space Nine. It's going by too fast. We're going to be talking about Let He Who Is Without Sin. These episode titles are getting real pretentious, I'm just saying. And Things Past. That's pretty pretentious, too. 